Hi, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. Uh, today is Wednesday, October 14th, 2020, starting at 4.32 p.m. in Denver, Colorado, and this is the 275th episode of the show. Today I'm going to be talking to Shakira Taborn about uh, Saturn generation signs for millennials. So hey, Kira, welcome to the show. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I am. Um, I always am excited about different topics because I usually am, but I'm actually excited about this episode because this is a topic talking about different astrological generations and how astrology can be used to divide up different generations into like broad groups is something I've always been interested in, but I've never actually done a show on it. So this will be one of my my first episodes. So thanks for joining me to talk about it. Cool. All right. So um. You've been really busy like over the past year or two, and it seems like a lot of stuff. You've been very active. So you wrote, there was a, a series of books on different signs of the zodiac, and you actually wrote the Pisces volume that came out just earlier this year, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was from Sterling Publishing. Um, you also are the director and have been organizing the Fresh Voices and Astrology Conferences and events, which have been amazing over the past few months. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited about that. Yeah, that has been really great. And then finally, recently you launched your own podcast recently called the The Astrology Show, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and what you're like ten episodes into that right now? Yep, ten episodes in. We just covered all of the planets, basically. Awesome. Okay. And what's the URL for that? Um, you can go to theastrology.com/slash/theastrologyshow, um, or just Type in the astrology show wherever you listen to podcasts. Cool. And I'll put a link to that in the description below this video or on the description page on the podcast website. But um, so the focus of this episode is over the summer, you wrote this whole series on different Saturn signs um, for millennials and how you can break up the sort of broad Pluto generations, which last for like a decade or two. Into smaller subgenerations based on Saturn signs, which last for about two or three years. And I thought that was a really great blog series. So I wanted to bring you on to talk about that today and to talk about the broader concept of just astrological generations in general. Um, what got you interested in that that topic? I I wish I could remember what exactly got me into it, but um I yeah, it's always been this thing for me to be interested in. Generations. Um, I I think when I first started learning astrology, to learning about like the outer planets and how they are these kind of generational influences, um, and then seeing like I have personally like pretty tight aspects um, from inner planets to my outer planets, and so I kind of look at that as like a, a window into um, you know the broader generation. And yeah, I think that sort of started to spark my interest in like subgenerations and you know what does it mean to to be born during you know Pluto and Scorpio. Um, yeah, I think that there's you know when you're learning astrology and you kind of there's almost this idea that like the outer planets not that they, not that they don't matter but they're not as personal. So so yeah, I think. Um, for me, it's like okay, let's dig into this more. Like, what what are they useful for, and um, and kind of thinking about like how yeah how I can how to sort of like 
dig into these three outer planets and look at them in a, in a more generational context, because that's, that's sort of how they're always framed. Like they are generational. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to like dig into that a little bit more. Yeah. I like that as a basic concept and maybe that's worth dwelling on for us for a little bit here. Just the idea that, you know, like the seven traditional planets that were known about for the first few thousand years of astrology, um, are like the moon, which moves through the signs of the zodiac in like 28 days. And then you have the sun that takes a year to go around the entire signs of the zodiac, the 12 signs, all the way out to Saturn, which takes what, 27 to 30 years. But once you start getting into the newly discovered planets like Uranus and Neptune and Pluto, they are so far out in the solar system and they take so long to move through each of the signs that they're in the same signs for entire very large groups of people. And I guess Pluto is the main one that astrologers have focused on, modern astrologers have focused on in the 20th century that stays in certain signs for for a decade or more, basically, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think something I I I had listened to um or purchased and and listened to uh, Austin Kopic's Generations class um he has on his website and through that kind of learned about how you know Pluto does have this cylindrical orbit so it stays in certain signs for much longer than other signs and Pluto and Scorpio is the one that it kind of zooms through the quickest. Um, and so that got me thinking a lot too, like, what does it mean, um, to be born during this time when, you know, Pluto is kind of moving through the sign, um, quicker than, than usual and just kind of everything that goes with that too. So yeah, there's, there's a lot there to unpack. Yeah. So Pluto, it's like its orbital cycle is 247, 248 years. So that's super long but it spends like you were saying because it has an elliptical orbit some of the signs it goes through relatively fast um, but others it goes through relatively slow but even like pluto and scorpio which is one of the signs it goes through pretty quickly um it's still there for how long for like over a decade 12 years right? yeah 12 years okay so it's so then it's like everybody born in that 12 year period um when pluto is going through that sign um, all has Pluto in the same sign and sort of like has something about the same energy that was going on at that moment sort of imprinted on their chart collectively. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So this kind of is interesting because it overlaps with the idea from what is it like sociology or from history that there's different generations of people or that you can break up different groups into shared generations that have some sort of shared experience or some sort of shared um I don't know if characteristics is the right way because it's not that's more of the astrology side of it but one of the most famous examples for uh, for example is the baby boomers in the United States where there was this like large generation of people that were born in the aftermath of World War II in like a 10 or 15 or 20 year period between 1946 and the early 1960s and that was partially due to um, like a spike in like the birth rate after the end of the war. I think, right? Yeah, I think so. Okay, so that's an interesting thing. Just that that exists in the study of society and history, and then astrologers have looked at at things like that, like the baby boomer generation, and associated it with specific Pluto groups. 
And I think that the baby boomer generation is typically associated with like the Pluto and Leo generation, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and then I guess it's worth it to note that there are other ways of categorizing generations. Like I know um, a lot of astrologers will use the Saturn uh, Jupiter Saturn conjunctions as markers of generations as well. So I just wanted to put that out there that. Pluto, Pluto um, generations isn't the only way that astrologers kind of like categorize. Um, and then some even will look further into like Neptune generations too, um, which is really interesting as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So there's different ways you could divide it up and, and stuff just depending on what you're interested in or what you're focused on and different ways that you might characterize g- different generations. So um, yeah, so the baby boomers generally are like 1946 to sometime in the early 1960s, which is just how historians or sociologists define that. And Pluto was in Leo from about 1938 until 1957. So there's like a rough overlap there to a certain extent. Um, and then there was there's been a couple of other generations in between before we get to our main one. One of them was Pluto in Virgo, which was like the late 1950s through uh, the ni- pretty much all of the 1960s, I think, in the, what early 1970s. Yeah, I think that's that's about right. Okay, and then after that, we had Pluto in Libra for uh, about a decade, generation or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably like 15 years or so. Um, yeah, and it's it's weird because this always bothers me that um, Pluto, like the Pluto in Virgos and Pluto in Leo, sorry, Libras. Um, tend to be categorized as Gen X, but they, to me, there's like a very stark difference between the two subgenerations, but they kind of are all lumped in as Gen X. And that always really bothers me because I I feel like, you know, there there should be some sort of distinct um, name for for the two groups. Um, Because in my opinion, they are very different. Yeah, definitely. Um, And they're hugely different, especially just generationally and, and things that were going on. And you just think about like with the baby boomers, of course, they were born in the aftermath of World War II and they were raised in that context. And many of them came of age in the 1960s um, with some of the different tensions that were going on societally, but also like a lot of you know the ones that we know as astrologers who became famous astrologers were involved in some of the counterculture movements and things like that. So you have to think of it not just when the person was born and what generation they're part of and what outer planet chart placements they had in their birth chart but also later on you know when certain placements are going to be activated based on later transits like their um Saturn return or their Uranus square or what have you yeah exactly yeah um and i was raised by a baby boomer <laughs> and a gen xer i guess um my dad is my dad, they're, they're literally two different generations because they, they have a little over two decades between them. Um, so my dad, he's about to turn 80 um, in two weeks. He was born in 1940, so he's very much a Pluto and Leo, uh, whereas my mom is like very much a Pluto and Virgo. So yeah, I kind of, and because they had this really large age difference between them, um, I definitely got to see like, the differences between you know Pluto and Leo versus Pluto and Virgo, I, they're such different um, different types of people. But you know, others, lots of other synastry that kind of brings them together. 
Yeah, that's a really interesting point, though. Just that one that different people are born in different eras, where there's different like societal things that are common and that they take for granted, and also though that they then pass some of that on to the next generation and the next generation of their children or the people that come after them. Um, both inherit some of that, but also maybe react in different ways. Like maybe some things they take on, but other things maybe they reject from previous generations. So you had a real like view across two entire generations of some of those different things to pick and choose from in some ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think I actually think about that a lot. Like, you know, what does it mean for Pluto and Scorpio to have been raised by Pluto and Leos and Pluto and Virgos and what does it mean for you know Gen Z to have been raised by a bunch of Pluto and Libras and sort of thinking about the dynamics between like the parent generation and the the child generation? Because I've all like I've been one of those people who's like I'm going to have kids. Like I've always kind of known that I don't have kids yet, <laughs> but I always think about like are they going to be born with you know Pluto and Capricorn or Pluto and Aquarius? And how is that dynamic going to work out if, you know, there's that square, that tension between Scorpio and Aquarius, that same that I had with my dad, um, with, you know, Scorpio and Leo too. So yeah, I think about that a lot. Yeah, that's really interesting. And and maybe the different generations that maybe get along with or or represent a continuation of some of their parents' um, actions and values and and whatever versus maybe some generations where there's more tension there, or there's more conflict, or more of a desire to to break away in some sense. Mm-hmm, totally. Um, all right, so that actually then you mentioning yours brings us to our main focus for this episode and this discussion, which is the uh, Pluto and Scorpio generation, which you associate with uh, millennials, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay, so let's talk about some dates on that. So, um, you actually have a graphic that I'll pull up here in a second. But what were the dates on Pluto and Scorpio? I believe I don't know. I'm trying. To, I can't remember the exact like month, but to, I think it's um, 1983 to to 1995. I believe. Um, yeah. I don't remember. It might have been in Scorpio in 1982 for a little bit, but I forget off the top of my head. Yeah, there's a little bit of um, weird overlap there when Pluto sometimes is going back and forth between mm-hmm. um, trying to make it into a new sign and sometimes retrograding out or retrograding back. Um, so yeah. I'm having trouble pulling up the image. Give me just a sec. But yeah, roughly those dates are are correct. Yeah, there there is that weird, um, you know, when it comes in and out before it's like fully in, um, and then even like 1995 is something that comes up a lot because it's it's one of those years where Pluto did kind of dip into Sagittarius for a little bit. I think it might have stationed at like zero degrees or something, and then came back into Scorpio. So there's like a couple months in 1995 where. Um, there's this weird overlapping of like Saturn generations and, and Pluto generation, but um, generally it's yeah, 83 to 95. Okay, so that's Pluto and Scorpio. And then how are millennials usually defined in like historically or in terms of sociology? Do you know offhand? I think there's the sense that millenn- I mean, I think this is probably a, a widely accepted um, concept, but 
I, I think millennials are kind of considered um, the last generation to be alive before the internet was like, you know, kind of taken over the world. Um, we are the last ones that hold that, that like, memory of what life was like before um, the internet was widespread. So yeah, that's kind of how I at least think of um, millennials that the kind of like we we grew up with it, but not in the same way that like Gen Z, Pluto, and Sag did. They were fully like I, I feel like the inter- the internet was sort of like more integrated, I guess, um, as they were aging. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so. It looks like I'm just like looking at the Wikipedia definition. It says researchers in popular media use the early 1980s as a starting birth years and the mid 1990s to early 2000s as ending birth years, with 1981 to 1996 as a widely accepted defining range for the generation. And that's super interesting, of course, then just how that's just, you know, whatever historians or sociologists that are defining that, but it it works out pretty well or lines up pretty well in terms of um, that astrological definition of just Pluto going through Scorpio from 1983 through 1995 and therefore encompassing, you know, that that generation pretty nicely. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So so we're gonna be talking about people born in that span, especially between 1983 to 1985. And one of the things that you've done and focused on then is not just talking about that entire generation as a whole, but also breaking it down into subgenerations based on other outer planet placements of uh, Neptune by sign and Uranus by sign, and then also especially uh, Saturn by sign. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you know, I typically don't have time to talk about the Jupiters, but I think it's cool that, you know, Pluto was in Scorpio for 12 years. So we did get every single Jupiter sign. Um, I think it started with, with Jupiter and Sag and ended with Jupiter and Sag. Um, I think that's right. Yeah. So yeah, because, um, the oldest Gen Z has Jupiter and, and Capricorn. So yeah, it went from Jupiter and Sag all the way through, which is kind of cool too. Yeah, that is really cool actually that it, you get one of each and so it sort of covers the entire zodiac. Mm-hmm. Um but in terms of let's see so in terms of Saturn signs we're only talking about what one two three four five signs or so yeah. during that that Pluto generation. Mhm exactly yeah. Okay. So it looks like it started with Saturn and Scorpio around 1983 through 1986 and that's the first basically subgeneration of of Pluto and Scorpio millennials, then Saturn and Sagittarius from 1986 to 1988, then Saturn and Capricorn from 1989 to 1991, Saturn and Aquarius from 1991 to 1993, and then Saturn and Pisces from 1993 to 1996. Yeah, and I'm sure there's people looking at this being like, "But I was born in '88, and I have Saturn and." Capricorn or whatever. Um, yeah, these are like very, these are pretty rough um, dates because they're, you know, there's retrogrades and it's kind of hard to to show that in a infographic. Um, but yeah, those are rough, rough um, dates. Sure. But at least gives you an idea and then you can further specify if people just look up their, their birth charts. Um, all right. So you decided to focus, I see in the 
diagram that you've broken it up also by like Neptune signs, since Neptune changed signs in there, where it was in Sagittarius from 1970 to 1984, and it was in Capricorn from 1984 to 1997. And then you've also broken it up based on Uranus, which was in Sag from 1981 to 1988, and Capricorn from 1988 to 1995. Um, so there's those other broader sort of categorizations, but you focused primarily on the Saturn signs, right? Yeah, exactly. And why is that, or what is it about um, Saturn signs that you feel like is distinctive or important to focus on just in terms of different generations when combining it with Pluto? Yeah, I mean, with Saturn, it it does have it does take about two and a half to three years to move through a sign. So it is a really good um, marker for subgenerations. And it also Saturn being that the farthest planet that we can see with the naked eye, it does kind of straddle um, this like boundary between uh, like what's real and what's, you know, or what's tangible and what's kind of like out, out there. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it, and it, it straddles, you know, the, I guess that like, you know, generational line too, because we're talking about the outer planets being these generational influences and how, you know, Uranus takes about eight years and assign Neptune up to like 15 years. Um, so Saturn kind of gives us this nice container um, of, of like a, a, a subject, a subgeneration that um, makes sense to kind of like study and look deeper into. Yeah, and especially this year within the context of the Saturn Pluto conjunction, which occurred at the beginning of January in January, and then the the subsequent like explosion of the coronavirus and the pandemic, and just the ways that that's obviously changed the world very tangibly in the aftermath of that, and will have huge ramifications that we can't even fully understand or anticipate at this point, but we just know it has shaken up the world in a major way. I think we've seen, or astrologers have seen, how important the Saturn-Pluto cycle can be in just major, dramatic, tangible shifts in, in society. Yeah, very much so. Um, yeah, and then we also did have that shift of Saturn signs this year as well, which we'll get again in December. We had Saturn Moved from Capricorn into Aquarius for a couple months. Um, and that was cool. I kind of look at that as like a glimpse into the future almost. Right. Um, so so yeah, that as well. Yeah. And that was, you know, that was also a dramatic few months when we had Saturn go into Aquarius and mm -hmm. um started that early square, the early part of that square with Uranus, which I think mm -hmm. is gonna go exact the first time next year in the first half of next year or something. If it gets that that far, if I'm remembering yeah. correctly, yeah, um, I think it's exact in like February. <laughs> February, okay, yeah. yeah, that, yeah next year, there's a lot of really interesting stuff like that. But that was also a nice glimpse into a generational shift, and just knowing that we're going to be experiencing that a lot for like the next couple of years that Saturn is going through Aquarius. Yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah, another reason to focus on Saturn signs too is because, like you get a Saturn return pretty early on in life as opposed to like a Uranus return, which doesn't happen until you're like 81. Um, so, so yeah, that's another thing. Cause I kind of look at Saturn subgenerations as like focusing in on 
what that group's sort of like responsibility is in the larger context of society um, and what they're sort of meant to build and cultivate. And I, I kind of look at the Saturn return as like a defining moment in that and sort of like realizing what that responsibility is. Um, and, and yeah, like kind of making more tangible moves towards building that building, you know, whatever structures or, um, systems that, that, that person or that subgroup is, is called to bring forth. Yeah. So, so each generation or each subgeneration of Saturn placements and Pluto placements has certain like potentials, but you feel like it's really when that generation has their Saturn return, when Saturn returns back to that sign between ages of 27 and 30, that some of their contributions to society start becoming more tangible and more clear. Yeah, exactly. And that's sort of when it's like put to the test. Like I kind of think of that as when Saturn sort of like gives you your um assignment almost <laughs> like you know okay you made it through this first round like here here's what you kind of have to work on building for the next 30 years yeah that makes a lot of sense and it's been really interesting seeing the people with um Saturn and Capricorn sort of finishing up their Saturn returns but getting this final um you know major um in some ways, like destabilizing type situation um, towards the end of it with Saturn and late Capricorn as they're all finishing up their Saturn returns. And then some of the Saturn and Aquarius people uh, for that three months that Saturn was in Aquarius getting a, a little preview of what their Saturn returns really going to be about. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the Saturn and Capricorn folks, excuse me, already have, were already born during. You know, the Uranus Neptune conjunction with Saturn there too. So it's like they're already born during these unstable times. And then they kind of get thrown with this Saturn Pluto conjunction and Capricorn. And, you know, I'm not, I'm just, I'm not envious. <laughs> I'm kind of glad I have the Saturn and Saturn and Aquarius. So yeah, I've seen a lot of friends move through that and it's, it's definitely a lot. Yeah, let me share the chart for those watching the video version and I'll take it back to like the late 1980s because that pile up in Capricorn of those three outer planets of like Uranus and Saturn and Neptune and Capricorn was pretty dramatic um, in the late 1980s and early 1990s. And um, I remember a lot of astrologers back then associated that to some extent with um the fall of the Soviet Union and the, the dissolution of the Soviet Union at the time and just what a major world-changing sort of shakeup that was. Um, but it's been interesting seeing a lot of people that were born during that time going through their Saturn returns over the past few years since 2017 and seeing it, it hasn't just been like a pure Saturn return because there's been these major Neptune elements of sometimes like idealism and also sometimes these Uranus elements of like sudden and somewhat dramatic changes at the same time. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think did yeah, so then there was that Saturn and sorry, Uranus and Neptune were also kind of hanging out in Sagittarius um when Saturn Maybe they weren't both there, but I know that there was like a whole little subgeneration with 
Saturn conjunct Uranus and Sag too. So that kind of like continued on um, when they moved into Capricorn as well. So yeah, the the interesting um, conjunctions of the other outer planets to Saturn um, during the earlier part of Saturn, or sorry, of Pluto and Scorpio is another interesting thing to look at. Yeah, definitely. So I am, uh, I'm part of the early Pluto generation because I was born in late 1984. So Pluto was in Scorpio by then, and Saturn was also in Scorpio. So I'm one of your sort of first early generations of this millennial generation. Yes, exactly. Um, and when I wrote about that, I also talked about the fact that the South Node was also moving through um, Scorpio as well. So there was this really, for lack of a better word, intense um, pile up of Pluto, Saturn, and the South Node all in Scorpio. Yeah, yeah. Rough, <laughs> roughly my chart. Um, yeah, in terms of like stelliums, um, mm-hmm. there's a lot, lot going on there. So you know that generation in the early to mid 1980s is kind of interesting because it was. Um, those two adjacent signs kind of got the Saturn-Pluto conjunction, especially the Pluto and Libra folks who were, you know, just slightly before. Yes. Um, but you get that that Saturn-Pluto conjunction in Libra, and especially the like. Uh, I know a lot of astrologers now, in retrospect, associate with like the AIDS crisis and some of the ways and the dynamics um, in which that changed relationships and and things like that during that time in the early 1980s. And then a sort of continuation of that through the early to mid 1980s with Saturn and Pluto then going through Scorpio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because I I think of Pluto and Scorpio as like the the bulk of the AIDS crisis. Um, and I remember being very young and right like right around the time Pluto entered Sag, I remember specifically thinking like AIDS isn't in the news as much anymore. And I was only like five six, but I remember it so vividly, like being such a big story when I was little. Um, and then I remember thinking, like in the late '90s, like it's not, it's not as, it just wasn't talked about as much anymore. Um, so yeah, I, I really do think of that as like a Pluto and Scorpio thing. But it was definitely seated right before Pluto entered Scorpio um, at that conjunction in in Libra. Yeah, that's a really good point. That especially in like that's the second half and like the first half of the nineties, um, just the, the raising awareness and talking about it, and um, you know, making sure especially that younger people who were becoming sexually active like knew about it was just a huge part of the the culture at the time. Um, like I remember one of the first CDs I bought actually was like a TLC. Uh, CD and like Lisa Left Eye Lopez always wearing like a condom over her left eye, mm. just as part of the early '90s attempts to like let people know, you know, that they needed to practice safe sex. Yeah, yeah, <sighs> yeah. I have so many weird early memories about like my parents talking about the AIDS crisis and just remembering, um, just remembering like seeing newspapers like. Yeah, weird early memories, but it's stuck with me. Right. Um, yeah, so that's an important and defining 
sort of early first part of that generation, or I guess that really goes through a large part of the millennial generation and its entirety in terms of Pluto and Scorpio. Um, are there any other major themes? What are some other major themes about the first subgeneration of Saturn and Scorpio that we should talk about? Yeah. So when I wrote about Saturn and Scorpio, um, as as you know, in the Pluto and Scorpio generation, I kind of categorized it as this subgeneration that um, took loss and grief. Um, to another level, I, I I just kind of think of it as um, this, yeah, the subgeneration. It's weird talking to you because you you're a part of it, but um, <laughs> right. the subgeneration. I'm that, not here and just talk about it abstractly. <laughs> um, but yeah, this this subgeneration that um, I think kind of took it, made it their responsibility to learn how to process. Um, grief and loss and these like really difficult emotional psychological states. Um, and I like the way that I've kind of witnessed it personally, um, as, is at, at their Saturn returns and, you know, past too. Um, it, it just seems like there was, yeah, this responsibility to like, um, help people and like share how they've moved through really difficult things and, sort of in this way that can potentially help other people. Um, and so I kind of look at that subgeneration as sort of like the the foreparents of the the present day um like self-care, self even self-help, but more like self-care um movement, if if you will. Um obviously they weren't like the ones who invented those terms or anything, but um yeah, I see them as sort of the ones who really like really took it seriously to um to figure out how to like move through and process in a way that wasn't toxic. Um I kind of I kind of get a sense that a lot of those folks didn't have the they didn't have the structures in place to that that supported them through those processes at least when they were, you know, younger and I think that they really took that on as like, you know, something really serious that they had to, um, to figure out because they didn't want to, like, no one really wants to end up like their parents, I guess. Um, and I, I kind of just take that as like, yeah, they really, um, they really took it seriously, like kind of letting go of a lot of more toxic or, um, even like abusive, even like if it's abusive to the self sort of ways of, um, taking care or yeah, ways of like processing really difficult stuff instead of just like burying it and, you know, maybe doing the stereotypical Scorpio thing of like, uh, retention and holding on to it and just kind of burying it deep down. It seems like the subgeneration took seriously, like the need for processing and, um, and yeah, moving through those things and not just like holding them inside of themselves. Right. Um, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So Saturn being it's like a or Scorpio being like a water sign, and that being one of the really important elements um, of that, and having a the intensity of a Saturn Pluto conjunction, but having it in a water sign, which sometimes is more um, 
internal or or sometimes more emotional in some some sense yeah it's like muted in a way i think um mm. like yeah like an explosion underwater sort of thing like it's very internalized i remember one of my favorite um like saturn lisa Scheim and i used to write a blog called saturn return stories and i remember um sort of when i was going through my saturn return between Saturn and Scorpio back in like 2013, 2015, watching some of my peers um, and sometimes watching celebrities that were in my subgeneration, like Saturn and Scorpio group, and like observing how they were going through it. And it was always really um, fascinating, you know, seeing everybody going through that simultaneously at the same time and seeing very similar, um, even when there were internal expressions, like sometimes internal expressions that were. Uh, collective or that were shared among groups of people. Um, but one of them that was always my favorite was um, Donald Glover, who is the rapper Childish Gambino. And because I had watched him on YouTube since originally he was in like a comedy troupe called Derek Comedy, and I'd watched since the very early days. So he was somebody I identified with seeing him go from just doing like, you know, joke YouTube videos to being on S, being, being a major comedian. Um, you know, being in major networks and eventually major movies and um, becoming a musician and everything else. Um, but I remember there was this period where he was going through a Saturn return and he disappeared from social media and everybody started speculating about what was up with him and if he was in trouble or something. And it turned out that he was just going through a sort of like dark night of the soul period, but he was also preparing for the release of this album. Um, but he ended up sharing um, this series of like notes on his Instagram page at one point when he was in the middle of his Saturn return, which I always thought was really um, emblematic or, or descriptive of Saturn and Scorpio and some of the like uh, real things that he was like struggling with at the time. Um, so some of these like handwritten notes that he wrote, he was like, one of the notes said, "I'm afraid of the future. I'm afraid my parents won't live long enough to see my kids. I'm afraid my show will fail." I'm scared my girl will get pregnant and at not exact the exact time we want. I'm scared I'll never reach my potential. I'm afraid she's still in love with that dude. I'm scared I'll never grow up out of this skit that he wrote one time when he was younger that was kind of controversial. I'm afraid people think I hate my race. I'm afraid people will think I hate women. I'm afraid, or he says, I hate people can say anything. I hate caring what people think. Um, I'm afraid there's someone better for you or me. I feel like I'm letting everyone down. Um, and he keeps going on and on with like all of these different things that were just really intense and really personal. But it was amazing seeing somebody going through their Saturn return that 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 sort of shared that, and you could kind of see his internal process happening in real time. I'm scared I'll be Tyrese. It's, it's kind of funny, <laughs> right? It is funny. Well, it was actually true. It was a real yeah. Like, Thing at the time was like this is 2013, so it's like would he kind of fade away? But ironically, then what happened is he released his album like right after this, a few months later, because the internet, and that was the album that kind of set him apart more as like a, an actual musician, where people started taking him a little bit more seriously. And after that point, his career really did take off. But he had to go through this really intense period first, where there was a lot of internal questioning and a lot of. You know, a good Saturn signification, which is uh, fear. Mm -hmm. Fear, depression. Fear. Yeah. 
Right. Yeah. I kind of look at the subgeneration as like this group of people who have just been through like some really, really heavy, dark shit, basically. Mm. And, um, and how they, have been able to like, yeah, kind of go to these, this really dark place and, um, and sort of like, yeah, get something out of that. That's really, um, remarkable in my opinion. Like, you know, I have, I have the sun conjunct Pluto in, in Scorpio. Um, but I am still like you guys with the South node and Pluto and Saturn and you with the sun too. I'm just like that, to me just shows like a tremendous amount of um emotional strength you know like strength to being a mars ruled sign um yeah i don't know if with the south note there i just kind of feel like there's there's almost this like i don't know maybe i'm maybe i'm in my head too much about it but i to me it feels like there's this idea of like okay we've been here before and we've moved through it like we've we've gotten through this before and by before i mean maybe that means early life maybe that means past life but um sort of just being able to draw on this like well of emotional strength that's kind of how um i i see that subgeneration yeah definitely that makes a lot of sense and so you're um pluto and scorpio but what's your saturn subgeneration i'm saturn in aquarius so okay. actually had my i had two saturn returns already this year um, which is wild. I, I'm, mine's pretty early in Aquarius. It's at one, one forty nine. So okay, I had so like, the station. Had, yeah, you had the first exact hit already. Yeah, I had two. One in April and one in May. My third one's in January. Okay, nice. Well, that's nice to sort of get it out of the way pretty early, and it seems yeah. like it's going relatively well for you. It is. Saturn's the most dignified planet in my chart. So um, it's definitely, it hasn't been easy, but I feel like I I have a little bit of Saturn return privilege. Sure. <laughs> um, 12th house, day chart, like in its own sign, it's doing pretty well. Yeah, that's a, that's a real thing. And that's a funny thing that probably should be talked about more is like Saturn return privilege of the people that Go through their Saturn returns and they do relatively well. And they, it's like a period of just like applying yourself and you go through some surmountable difficulties, but you push through and you come out on top. Yeah. And just that experience that some people have, which, you know, accidentally then sometimes makes them turn around and think or, or say to other astrologers, like, that's all it takes. You just got to work really hard and you'll be fine. But then there's like some people, if Saturn's a little bit more difficultly placed, like it much, it might be. A much harder time, or or it might be a period where life says like no to certain things that you're doing, and there's no like getting around that or negotiating it, and that can be a little bit harder. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I always whenever someone asks me about my Saturn return, I have to qualify. Like, I I'm pretty blessed with my Saturn placement, so you know, while it was really difficult, especially you know with the co coinciding with quarantine and the virus, um, I. You know, for me, it was just like, okay, now I, I have to meditate every day or else I'm, my anxiety and my fear around what's happening in the world is going to take over my life. So Saturn really like forced me into this like daily meditation practice while um, my Saturn return was happening, which, you know, like, yeah, the fear and anxiety was like terrible, but it wasn't as bad as, you know, it was just fear and anxiety. It wasn't actually, 
anything manifesting. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, you know, part of what my Saturn return was like this year, at least. I like that it was more, it became the necessity was more of like an internal meditative process for you in order to remain like centered and keep going. And what, what house is Saturn in? I've been in the 12th house. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that's pretty, that's pretty good 12th house, pretty, um, constructive 12th house manifestation. Yeah. Yeah. But also, you know, worth it to note that Mars was co present with Saturn during, uh, you know, the first couple months of that too. So right. Saturn entered and then, like, what, a week or two later, Mars, Mars entered as well. So I had that sort of conjunction of Mars and Saturn on my natal Saturn. And a lot of us 1991 kids had that. Um, and yeah, I mean, the fear that, like, the fear was very real and really intense. Um, but made it made it through and really lucky that the last the last pass is gonna have Jupiter there instead of Saturn. So I'm excited yeah, about that. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, I meant instead of Mars, my bad. Yeah, that's something to look forward to. That's the main thing I've been looking forward to all year is just getting to that Saturn Jupiter conjunction, which I hope will help to clean up a little bit of the mess that the Mars Saturn conjunction created. Uh, and I hope I'm not being overly optimistic about that, but that's that's what I've been looking forward to at least. Me too. Yeah. Also afraid of being overly optimistic about it, but <laughs> right. um, you know, looking at it, just the bare bones astrology, you can kind of um, deduce that. I think. Sure. Um, all right. So back to we talked about Saturn in Scorpio. Let's talk about Saturn in Sagittarius as a subgeneration. Yes, my faves. <laughs> Um, phase, so kind of, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's 1986 through 1988. Yes, Rough, yeah. roughly speaking. Yeah, they're my faves because you know they're, in my opinion, I, this is what I call them. I call them the most fun millennials um, because I think that they are the most fun millennials. You know, millennials, we were. I wouldn't necessarily call us like a fun generation. Um, <laughs> I think we're amazing and brilliant and we have so much to offer, but um, there, there's, you know, we're pretty, for the most part, a pretty Saturnian uh, generation. And when yeah, you I get- don't know I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, <laughs> I am very fun and I don't think anybody would, would that watches the show would characterize me as over, overly serious. <laughs> I mean, you do have that Venus and Sag, so I mean. Yeah, that's true. Well, that's <laughs> my friends. I have to import that into my life through yeah. my eleventh house. Yeah. So, but yeah, I I think um, I really love the subgen because they have that Uranus, um, the Saturn Uranus conjunction. A lot of them, um, yeah, a good a good portion of them also have. Jupiter in either Pisces or Aries. So we get that like Jupiter and domicile ruling those Sag planets, or we get Jupiter and Aries ruling those Sag planets. So um, very fiery. And I, I kind of look at this subgen as like the psychedelic, um, the, the ones who are just like want to explore the meaning of life and um, sort of like I think these these people often reject a lot of societal norms um, and sort of like what society says that they should be or should do. 
Um, and yeah, they seem to be just really interested in like, okay, how can we, how can we make the most out of this like time we have here on earth? Um, and sort of like go beyond, um, yeah, there's, there's this, there's this element of like exploration and, um, just really wanting to like grow their, their minds and like think big and yeah. Um, I, I really love this. <laughs> these are, these are the people that like, I love to go out dancing with, um, back when, back when that was a thing. Um, these are the people that, you know, it, it, you would, you would like, I don't know, want to go out into the middle of the woods and maybe take some substances with and just like explore. Like these, this subgen is, is really all about like, how can we make the most out of this? Um, this physical incarnation. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Those are great keywords and definitely the sort of freedom loving and um I, I want to say like idealistic to some extent, although that that ironically it becomes much more the case when you get all three of those together in the next subgeneration when Neptune's like thrown in at the same time. Yeah. Um it looks like in the chart, these two planets are meeting up at the very last degree of Sagittarius at like 29 Sag around 1988. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then they have that squaring the nodes too. That's a lot. Um, I saw this, this subgroup really struggled with their Saturn returns. Um, and I had a lot of friends that, that had Saturn and Sag that I, you know, as I was learning astrology, um, watched them and kind of almost like counseled them through their Saturn returns. And one of the major sort of themes that I saw was that they, they were sort of forced to, um, you know, conform in some way, shape or form. And it kind of became about, okay, how do I still maintain an aspect of freedom in my everyday life? while you know, having to get a job and like be an adult. Um, yeah, it's, it's the, the whole like needing to mature and like, you know, the pressure to become an adult was a lot because there's a little bit of like a Peter Pan syndrome with the subgeneration. Yeah, definitely. Um, one of the ones I remember, I'm trying to remember all of the Saturn return stories from that period of Saturn and Sagittarius just a few years ago. But the one I always think about for some reason is um, Shia LaBeouf, who mm. was you know like an actor, and you know in his early like childhood career, he was like a child actor, was on Disney and stuff like that. And then he started going into movies with like the Transformer series, like big movies with the Transformer series and Indiana Jones, but. He often wasn't taken seriously and was treated as almost like a punchline to a certain extent. But then, um, certainly by the time of Saturn return and during that three-year period, there was this interesting um, shift where he was trying to do things that were more artistic and more. He sort of got to a place where he seemed comfortable in his career, so he started branching out into other areas and like just doing whatever he wanted. And and what what he wanted to be doing was like. Typically, like eccentric art art type things, and went through this sort of transformation of of remaking who he was and how he was perceived in the world in general as part of his Saturn ruling the ascendant and being placed um, in the eleventh whole sign house conjunct the midheaven. 
but I always think of when his Saturn return went exact at five degrees of Sagittarius. I've never been able to confirm whether this is was deliberate or not, but he did this thing where he went to a movie theater and they played like all of the movies that he had done since he was a child for like a week. And he literally, um, during his Saturn return, like watched himself grow up and reflected on that as Saturn was passing over its exact degree. And I always thought that was such an amazing like meditation on the Saturn return, whether it was deliberate or not. I really have no idea. Yeah, that's that's amazing that that happened during the during the exact conjunction. Yeah, and thinking about you know he's a night chart, and so um, Saturn, the Saturn return, maybe being this more difficult and challenging to move through. Um, and passing over his midheaven and and all of that. So yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, that's a really good point. It was a night chart and it's ruling the ascendant, the first house and the ruler of the first is typically representing like the self. And one of the things that was just weird about that time is up to that point, he wasn't very well liked. I mean, just in general, in terms of People taking him seriously, but part of his transformation during that time is he think it seemed like he was able to sufficiently change his public persona to such an extent by going out of his way to try new, sometimes artistic and sometimes kind of weird um, avant-garde um, experiments that he definitely entered like a new phase of his life and career in some way, and part of that involved like remaking his sense of self in some sense. Yeah, wow. And it's funny that you say that, like the avant-garde experimental, um, because he does have that Uranus and Sag opposite his son, like right. yeah, by degree. Um, so Saturn coming to his natal Uranus and opposing his son too. Um, yeah, I bet that was really challenging for him, like internally. Yeah, and the square to Jupiter. I kind of look at the chart ruler in the eleventh too, as being um, just really aware of how you know every, everyone around you views you, or just being really aware of like your place within the larger context of you know whatever groups you're a part of. Um, and so, yeah, having like your malefic out of sect as the chart ruler placed there, it's almost like probably. He probably still doesn't think that people like him. <laughs> probably still has has issues with that. I mean, I would imagine. Um, oh, I'm excited to see how that there's gonna be an eclipse on his Saturn too next year. I wonder what's what that's gonna be about. Oh, that's a good point. I, that actually what you mentioned just raised a point I forgot about that um the art projects that he did, the like series of art projects he did were collaborations with his friends. So he had like this close like friend group that he was collaborating with, and that was part of how the eleventh house Saturn transit was manifesting as well. Nice, yeah, yeah, and that Jupiter and Pisces is kind of like a saving grace that probably does speak to having a lot of like really great friends um, that kind of might might be able to like take him out of that like you know everyone hates me sort of thing. Like I don't know, I have no, I don't know Shia LaBeouf. I have been a huge fan since. You know, he was on Disney, but <laughs> I'm just, you know, speculating at this point. Sure. Yeah. Um, or having like Venus trining that Jupiter, which is the rule of the eleventh, mm -hmm. as like a helpful little thing that's helping out at the same time. Um, but his 
it, it's just one of the really useful things to remember that when Saturn is connected to the first house and a person goes through the Saturn return, that it's often both an, an sometimes an external process as well as an internal process of like redefining the sense of self and how you appear to the world and um, different things like that. I mean, one of the funny things also being you know Aquarius rising. When I went through my Saturn return, was um, losing my hair and deciding to just like start shaving my head, and that being a big struggle and a big deal at the time. But it was part of my own process of you know redefining my sense of not just myself internally, but also how, how I appeared to the world. Mm, yeah, yeah. One of I had a really good friend um, who was really struggling with his Saturn return and in Sag, and he's Pisces rising, so he has Saturn in the tenth. Um, and he was just like dog walking at the time and just didn't know what to do with his life. Um, he was really like in a rough place with it. And he had gotten his degree in, um, marine biology. And he's just like, what am I supposed to do? And I looked at his chart and I was like, have you ever thought about teaching? Um, and eventually he got to the point where he went back to school and got a degree for, um, for teaching and now he teaches science and he loves it and it's like totally his calling um but it took this like really rough Saturn return um and yeah he's a night chart as well too so it took this whole process of like figuring out who he wanted to be in the world and how he wanted like the role that he wanted to take on um yeah that it's a similar, similar in you know, in ways in terms of like tenth house or mid heaven transits of Saturn, um, and yeah, it being about like what role do you want to do you want to take on? Right, that makes a lot of sense. Um, do you? Are there, is there anything else about Saturn and Sag? I'm trying to think of if there are any other like really good examples of that subgeneration and specifically their um, Saturn returns. That stood out, or were like good examples of some of the the different keywords that we're talking about with Saturn and Sag, or Saturn conjunct Uranus. Yeah, I don't know. You're the celebrity guy. I yeah, don't, I'm really bad with celebrity charts. Okay, um, but yeah, I'm more of like I know personal experiences. Um, but yeah, that's I yeah. think we covered a lot. They're the fun ones, basically. <laughs> Yeah, definitely fun. Um, uh, I'm just looking through my files. I mean, one of them was like Ronan Farrow mm, um, mm, and his Saturn mm. return like a few years ago, which was really coming out into his own as an investigative reporter and some of his contributions um, in the context of like the Me Too movement and some of those investigations that he was like involved with at that point. Yeah, yeah. And it seems like Jupiter and Sag last year really sort of like blew him up even more. Um, yeah. Yeah. He's a super st Sag stellium yes, with like the right. sun and moon and Uranus and Mercury and Saturn and the midheaven there with yeah. uh, Aquarius rising, Saturn ruling the ascendant, day chart, and in the 11th whole sign house. Wow. I didn't realize he was late Aquarius rising too. Um, that's awesome. Puts his fiance's son right in his seventh house. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm obsessed nice. with his fiance, so. Who's his fiance? Um, John Lovett. He's a he was like a former Obama speechwriter, like joke writer. Um, and he has yeah, he does he does he has this whole podcast with um 
crooked media and he just does a lot of political stuff nowadays nice um, yeah all right um yeah i think those are the main ones that i meant to mention just in terms of saturn and uh sagittarius there's probably like other ones we could go through but maybe that's maybe that's good yeah let's let's talk about the um the saturn and domicile subgens <laughs> okay so saturn in capricorn that was from a, a roughly 1989 through 1991 and as we've said that that kind of overlaps when Saturn was or when Uranus was in Capricorn and Neptune was in Capricorn as well. So you get this super pileup of planets in Capricorn typically for, for them. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that kind of brings up a point about stelliums that I've seen people discussing recently and discussions about like how many planets count for a stellium if it's three or four or more, and also to what extent. Um, personal planets should be involved versus generational planets. Um, do you have you followed any of that, or do you have any thoughts on any of that? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> my thoughts. I'm I tend to be very Jupiter with it. I'm like, mm. whatever. Like, if it's if you right. want to call it a stellium, <laughs> call it a stellium. <laughs> right. Um, to me, it's like if um, if there's a concentration of a bunch of planets in one sign, therefore like one house that mean something because that means that a bunch of other houses are going to be ruled by planets in that one house. So um, yeah, I, I definitely see it as important and something of note. Um, when it comes to outers, I I don't know. I, I think it's okay to count. I, I think if there's an inner planet there, um, even Saturn, I think it's okay to count it as a stellium. Um, you know, if it's if it's just like I don't know, I guess if it was just the two outers, it wouldn't even be a stellium; it'd be a conjunction. But yeah, I don't know. I I've thought about this a lot because I get a lot of clients who ask me about stelliums, and I'm just kind of like, I don't know. <laughs> if it's if it's if it's three or more planets, and you know, you feel like it's it's meaningful. Like I call my Scor my Scorpio. I have Sun Mars Pluto conjunction. Um, in Scorpio, and I call it my Scorpio stellium, you know, even yeah, though it's one, Pluto. And those are all pretty close in degree. It's like within five degrees that conjunction. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I guess it's because people often that are new students ask about this. And one of the distinctions with like personal planets is since, you know, the Sun and Venus and Mercury never get more than two or signs away from each other, there's a higher degree of. Probability that more more people will have like a three planet stellium, um, but definitely once you get into four, that becomes much more unique. Just because then you have to have at least those three inner planets plus one more. Mm -hmm. But I guess that's one of the things that makes this subgeneration really unique is having three planets in one sign. You're automatically going to have like three planets, even if at least two of them are are super generational. It creates kind of a clustering in one part of your chart, so that any time one of those planets in that cluster gets activated, like all three of them are getting activated in some way. Yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah, I've seen lots of charts with people who have like, you know, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, and the Sun, Mercury, and Venus all in Capricorn. Um, so that 
certainly happens quite a bit. Um, and yeah, I mean, heavy. <laughs> that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, that is a lot. That's so that's a good point. So it means also like if any inner planet like happens to end up in that sign, then you've got four planets there just automatically for anybody in that generation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So here's a little chart with that. And also even from very early in that generation in the late 80s, those planets are all pretty close in degree. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're within like 10 degrees of each other, Uranus and um, Neptune and Saturn. And it wasn't too far after that, of course, I guess in like 1982, 1993, that we got the Uranus-Neptune conjunction that happened in Capricorn. Yeah, yeah. Um, this looks like my friend's chart. <laughs> I okay. uh, I know a lot of people born in in February of of eighty nine, um, a lot for some reason. Um, and yeah, there's I that that Uranus, sorry, that Neptune, um, that Saturn Neptune conjunction was really really rough for a lot of folks during their Saturn returns. Um, I have a friend who has that conjunction straddling their, her ascendant. So she has like Saturn on one side, Neptune on the other, um, and her ascendant right in the middle. Um, and she's a night chart with, you know, she was, I think, born a couple of days before this. Yeah, because she has the moon um, in Aquarius, so basically the same chart, um, and had a really rough, or has been having a really, really rough Saturn return. So yeah, I've seen... Um, it's, you know, and I dated someone during their Saturn return last year who was also born February 89 and has that conjunction um, in the ninth house. And for him, it was all about, um, he he had been in grad school, so ninth house, um, for creative writing. And he, what did he call it? Um, yeah, like, like it's, it, there's this weird combo of like fantasy and reality that happened. Um, but he, he, yeah, he was a creative writer and he was writing like all this, you know, non, was it nonfiction or fiction? Fiction's the one that's not real. Yeah. So, so all this fiction work, um, and really struggling with like, I think there's just that Neptune, that Saturn Neptune conjunction is really hard to like hold on to. It's like really slippery. And I think that's, I think it's rough when you're trying to, you know, during your Saturn return, especially in Capricorn, when you're trying to build something of substance, you're trying to build something that will last, um, almost like making your mark, um, which is very like Saturn and Capricorn, in my opinion, like something that is real and tangible and that you can see and touch and, you know, um, like building a structure in some way. But then the Neptune piece just, really made that so intangible. And um, I saw a lot of folks struggle with that, like trying to figure out how to like be an adult and, you know, again, make something of substance um, when the Neptune influence caused so much like immateriality and like, you know, just kind of made everything sort of like just not real. <laughs> and then right. I saw a lot of people struggle with that. Like trying to like um, grab onto like a fistful of sand and like the harder you squeeze and try and hang on to it, the more it like slips through your fingers and, and falls out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, there was, I've been really fascinated by sometimes in the more productive versions of that, how um, there's just been a major element of like idealism sometimes in some of the people that were able to do the more constructive version of their Saturn return. There was often this element of bringing ideals into it that um, sometimes may, might even be overly idealistic and sometimes running into the issue of like their over idealism meeting the reality of like what was possible. But still, despite that, and despite that tension, perhaps their aspirations at that time um, being more idealistic and being able to bring some of those idea ideals into concrete reality in a way that was um, closer to hitting the mark than maybe other subgenerations who um, you know didn't have that element of idealism as much as part of their Saturn returns. Yeah, for sure, the idealism piece is really real. Um, yeah, yeah, and I'm just thinking about like that coupled with Jupiter like moving through Sag last year and how there was this sort of like with Jupiter and Sag, it was this very like think big, like anything's possible sort of vibe. And then that being contrasted with like moving through your Saturn return where, um, it might have just felt like, you know, just such a heavy weight and so much pressure to like make those dreams a reality um, and just finding it really hard to do so. Yeah. Um, one of the one of the ones that I, I was watching that was like a more of a positive Saturn return story that seems to have gone well and seems to have been um incorporating some of the ideals and incorporating some of the like making sudden radical changes in your life and um it somehow working out or pulling it off was um the birth chart when we got the birth time uh recently of um AOC of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez um being one of the Saturn and Capricorn people who had a relatively good like Saturn return where things worked out yeah, she's a great example. Yeah, so here's her chart. So she's also a day chart with um, Saturn at eight degrees of Capricorn, Uranus at one degree, and Neptune at nine degrees of Capricorn with Sagittarius rising. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and she she just has like a ton of cardinal stuff. Like almost everything in her chart is cardinal. Um, the ruler of the ascendant is Jupiter, which is at like ten. Cancer opposing the Capricorn stuff. Her moon's at three, Aries, and then she has a stellium in Libra with Mercury at two, the midheaven at six, Mars at 15, and the sun at 20. So it's like anytime stuff goes into cardinal, it just activates all of her, all of her stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, her Saturn return, you know, in the second house did coincide with like, this complete change in her in her finances and the way that she was making money like she was a bartender before or at when she was running um for congress and and you know now she's a congresswoman and um and she so much of her focus is on like money <laughs> and you know budgets and making sure that um you know corruption is being checked in regards to like you know, banking and all the all the financial stuff that I you know I can't really speak to the the specifics, but 
Um, I know that's that's definitely like a big part of her focus. Chart ruler in the second, I'm sorry, in the eighth, um, as the most positive planet in the chart too, and exalted. I mean, um, that and then and then her Saturn in the second, which um is also in in a pretty good you know, it's in a day chart, it's in its own sign. I think it's direct. I don't know, maybe not. Um, but regardless, two of her most um positive planets and in these money houses. So yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, definitely. And just, I mean, what a crazy story that is in terms of going from being a bartender and then deciding to jump into politics and ousting um, you know, the sitting representative in her area in New York who had been established there for a long time, and that being also partially driven by her own Political ideals and like aspirations, but doing it, you know, somewhat suddenly and being the the upstart challenger who displaces like the old status quo. Um, it's just there's like so many different like Uranus and Neptune and Saturn and Capricorn themes there that are all getting tied into that story in a, in a very literal way. Yeah, yeah. When I wrote about this subgeneration, um, I kind of kind of pictured this um sort of like almost like a as if there was like a city or you know a, a place that um got destroyed and i kind of thought of it as like you know like as if an earthquake happened and a monsoon which would be like uranus and neptune mm-hmm. um and then you know saturn kind of representing those structures that Perhaps, or maybe even Capricorn representing those structures that were um, totally demolished during that period of time, but sort of this the subgeneration almost acting as if they're the architects of a new world. And I kind of pictured like like being in this in this rubble and seeing you know this these fallen bricks and these fallen structures and being able to see the potential and using that to build something new. Um, yeah, that's kind of how I think of this, the subgeneration with like, you have this, um, you know, Saturn and Capricorn, which speaks so much to, to the old and to tradition and structure and um, like authority and all that is. And how Uranus and Neptune, like that's just such a like a seems like they don't they won't mix and they I don't know they probably don't mix but um, what you get out of that is this like just a whole new way of doing like magic honestly I kind of think of it as like these these magical and also like empathetic and also um, yeah compassionate and inclusive structure like people i guess who can build these these structures um for a new world i don't know yeah i guess that makes sense right <laughs> get a little bit mercury and sad a little all over the place sometimes no that's perfect and what, what's funny is it started making me remember and think of um you know we're talking about this largely in the context of people that are born with certain um, generational placements and then what happens when they have their set and return and seeing some of that stuff come out and become much more concrete. But over the past few years, I've been 
noticing that that doesn't just happen in birth charts, but it also sometimes happens in like electional charts or the charts for entities. And one that I've been watching um, over the past few years is this local cafe called the Mercury Cafe here in Denver that's run by a local astrologer named Marilyn Magenity. And she timed it. This is like a time chart for when this business um, first opened on October 31st, 1990 at 6.20 a.m. in Denver, Colorado with Scorpio, Scorpio Stellium rising. But it has that Saturn-Neptune-Uranus conjunction in the third whole sign house. And what's been really interesting to see over the past two years is, is one, it's always been like a, a very idealistic, very like community-oriented place where they host lots of local like activism and um, sometimes like fundraisers and different political things. Um, they also host like poetry readings or poetry slams and um, just a ton of different like community events at this place, which is really interesting in terms of the idealism of the third house um, with Saturn there. But over the past few years, since Saturn went into Capricorn, um, the Mercury Cafe used to be on like the outskirts of downtown Denver, kind of in the middle of nowhere. But then there's been this shift in the city over the past few years, suddenly where there's these huge disparities in the neighborhood that it's in, where on the one hand, all of these huge buildings started going up around it, and suddenly it went from being um, a business that was in the middle of nowhere on the outskirts of the city with nothing around it, just like empty warehouses, to suddenly these huge high rises with um, condos, like really expensive, flashy looking condos being built up around it. But then also um, these other disparities of um, that part of the city, there's been a rise in the homeless population that have built up like a right around it in its literal like neighborhood, like on the streets like next to it. So we've witnessed this really striking um, disparity, which is an interesting like Capricorn or Saturn and Capricorn things as well of extremes of both wealth and poverty, and it being like localized to the third house of this this business. And then, of course, at the same time this year, finally with COVID hitting, that's been like a huge hit to it, and it struggled as a business that normally. Relies on people from the neighborhood coming in regularly and and doing community events there in person um, to suddenly like that grinding to a halt and then trying to figure out how to survive as a result of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it is like a night chart too. I mean, it is very close to sunrise, but right. there's that. I wonder what's going to happen late 2022 during that Mars retrograde and and Gemini since that rules the chart. I wonder. There's going to be any further developments um, with the cafe? Yeah, uh, it's got a Mars retrograde natally in Gemini. Um, yeah, but it's it's interesting then thinking about um, not just you know people, but also sometimes like businesses that end up either affecting things around them locally. In this case, which is a very like localized case, um, versus let's say like major corporations or something like whatever mm-hmm. the founding chart is for. Let's say like Apple computers or um, other major companies, or even governments or or whatever that have like changed the world in different ways, and how these generational influences live on and are activated at different points through them. Yeah, that's really interesting. 
I'm gonna, I like you have so many, so many good examples. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I try to like just save as many as I can in Solar Fire, and that's one of the more useful things about it. And being able to like search through your your database quickly, mm-hmm. it's something I recommend to everyone. Although because I've been doing the podcast more over the past few years and my courses, I haven't had enough time to do consultations. So I'm kind of missing out on some of the things that you specialize in where you're, you know, sitting down and talking to people about some of these transits and seeing them live through them in a much more personal way. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of miss that as well as like another huge piece of this. Yeah. 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 Um, all right. Are there any other things we should mention about Saturn and Capricorn? The good news is they're finishing up their Saturn return right now. It literally just stationed direct at the end of September, and it's making its final run through Capricorn between now and December. Yeah, yeah. I'm so happy for them to finally be finished with it. Um, I think, yeah. I, I, what I've kind of noticed is that Jupiter and Capricorn this year. Um, there just ha- seems to have been like a stark difference, although we have had Saturn Pluto conjunction in Capricorn. Um, and although Jupiter is in fall in Capricorn, there seems to have been this sort of, um, I don't know, healing aspects that Jupiter brought to this last leg of the Saturn return for folks. Um, and yeah, I don't know. That's just something I've noticed that there, there's almost this like bringing together of the past two years. Um, and yeah, there's a little bit of like healing and sort of like showing people that, you know, there's maybe, maybe a little bit of like, um, light at the end of the tunnel sort of thing. I don't know. I, I, that's just something I've noticed that this Jupiter transit has sort of helped patch up a lot of the, the pain, um, the pain points over the past couple of years that the subgeneration has moved through. Um, and yeah, I just kind of think of Saturn and Cap people as really like really desiring to leave a mark in some way, shape, or form. Um, and I think that they they just really take that seriously. Like their need to um to sort of leave some sort of tangible um mark or build something tangible to to that will last, um, something of substance that can, you know that was going to like last for a long time. Um, yeah, that's just something I've, I've noticed a lot about this subgeneration. Yeah. And, and it's been nice with Jupiter in, in Capricorn this year, sometimes this theme of, um, especially in that generation of people, like how do you make um, something from nothing or how do you deal with a bad situation and still come out successful or come out on top? Despite that, or despite whatever obstacles you're initially beset with, mm-hmm. um, and that's been an interesting thing. Seeing some of the um, Jupiter and Capricorn elements coming through with Saturn and Capricorn at the same time. Yeah, for sure. All right, yeah. so that brings us to the next one, which is um, Saturn in Aquarius. Yes. Um, so this is interesting because. Once Saturn entered Aquarius, it's it stopped being co-present with outer planets. So 
from the beginning of um of Pluto and Scorpio, there was, you know, Saturn and Scorpio with Pluto in the south node, and then it went to Saturn and Sag with Uranus, and then Saturn in Capricorn with Neptune and Uranus. And now finally Saturn in Aquarius in the early 90s um was able to one enter its its diurnal domicile. So, you know, some would say that's the preferred domicile of Saturn. Um, And it got to like take a breather from being co-present with outers um, and even the nodes. So, so yeah, I, there's a, there's a definitely marked difference in that. I think Um, you kind of get a happier Saturn in a lot of ways. Um, And yeah, I just, I think, well, this is like my sub-generation. Um, and I kind of see the Saturn. So Saturn in Capricorn to me is so much about structures, whereas Saturn in Aquarius seems to be so much about systems. Um, and those two things may be interchangeable in a lot of ways, but um, with Aquarius being an air sign, there is this sense of like social, there's like the social quality to it. And, um, I kind of see the Saturn and Aquarius subgeneration as like really just trying to figure out where they belong. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, it seems to be so much about like finding their people and finding those spaces that make them feel safe. Um, and then creating spaces that, that make them feel safe, um, yeah, there's something about Saturn and Aquarius having to do with spaces for me. Um, I don't know if it's a personal thing, but yeah, like the, just even thinking about like social distancing and how that became a phrase right before Saturn entered Aquarius. But, um, it's sort of like, you know, during the whole Saturn and Aquarius, um, period of time in 2020, that was sort of like the name of the game, social distancing. Um, and just the, idea of like, like needing space, like needing to create space which is very Saturnian, like the distance part of it. Um, but then also like creating, like actually creating spaces and containers through which socializing can occur and through which people can feel, um, seen and, you know, held within groups that, that sort of like, you know, makes sense for them. And, groups that, um, yeah, make them feel like they belong somewhere. I think that's a really big thing with Saturn and Aquarius. And I think that's going to continue, um, to be over the next couple of years when Saturn's moving through Aquarius and we're having our Saturn returns, um, figuring out like where we belong seems to be a really big theme. Yeah. It was really notable earlier this year, this feeling of, like needing out, needing to figure out ways to connect with other people, even though you're separated or you have to be separated, or even though there's a distance between you and the like di- weird dichotomy between that or the tension that that creates, but then that driving or pushing people towards innovation as well as you know leveraging new technologies. Like this is when everybody was using Zoom all of a sudden during the lockdown, and even if this is like a technology that um, you know people like. Us have been using for years as astrologers doing consultations, or even if Skype's been around, all of a sudden, like everybody was using it because you didn't have a choice because that was the only way to like connect with people or 
or what have you? Totally. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's funny because it feels like, like the Saturn and Aquarius time period is when, at least for me, you know, Saturn also rules my 11th house. So (laughs) there's that too. Um, but it felt like a true, like entrance into my community, the astrology community. Um, and it became a time where I started talking to astrologers more than ever, like on a daily basis. Um, I'm still in a group chat with a bunch of astrologers that we all started talking. Um, yeah, during like in April, um, during Saturn and Aquarius, and we just kind of never stopped. <laughs> and um, yeah, I talked to more astrologers during that time period than I had like my whole life. And, you know, I've been in the astrology community, I've been talking to astrologers and stuff. But in terms of like group spaces, like we were, there was a week straight where I was um, on house party with like five other astrologers every night for hours and hours and hours every night um, for like a good like week straight. And yeah, there's, there's this, again, like this finding your people and finding um, those social spaces through which you belong um, and cultivating a sense of belonging. And then also I think the responsibility to create those spaces. Um, I feel that heavily with Saturn being so dignified in my chart too. Um, and then also ruling my 11th house and my North node and things like that. So, um, yeah, like for me, I I feel very much called towards making sure I can create those spaces, um, in particular for people, you know, more marginalized people, queer folks, BIPOC folks, um, within the astrology community. So it, it feels there's, there's like this idea of, you know, with Aquarius too being very, um, very aware of groups and like where, where you fit in amongst even just like your peers or society. Um, and then there's like the groups within the groups within the groups. Um, and sort of like just finding your, your spot amongst that. Yeah, that makes sense. And and one of the interesting ways I love how that's manifested for you, not just with Saturn and Aquarius, but all with so with Saturn ruling your eleventh house is um, becoming uh, involved with and now becoming the director of the Fresh Voices in Astrology Conference, where you're, you're literally um, in charge of hosting. Now you hosted a major online astrology conference. Just what was it, like one or two months ago? Yeah, in August. Um, yeah, th- it's like this free summit that we do every year. And I actually spoke, it was like my first real speaking engagement um, last last summer for Fresh Voices. So yeah, it's a cool, like full circle thing with that. But yeah, now we host monthly webinars and that that um, that yearly summit. Yeah, that seems like a really, that's interesting. Both of those things, both at like an 11th house theme for you personally, as well as like a Saturn and Aquarius theme. Um, and has also just been interesting in terms of the shift in the astrological community that's happened over the course of the past just few years, like two to three years, really, where um, there's been this huge influx, it seems like, of younger people in their 20s, especially, um, who have suddenly like come into the field. Whereas for a very long time, there weren't like a lot of younger astrologers in the field. Like there was this huge influx back in the 1960s when a bunch of the um, Pluto and Leo generation 
suddenly um, hit their hit their twenties, and especially through the counterculture movement, like a bunch of them got into astro- into astrology, and astrology got really popular around 1968. But there was never a similar um, boom in astrology or influx of astro- of young astrologers. And I remember for a very long time that I was always like the youngest astrologer at conferences when I was in my late teens and and most of my twenties. And even headed up the Association for Young Astrologers, but there weren't. We we're always like waiting for more people to get into it, but it never quite happened. And then suddenly, it's happened over the course of the past few years, and it seems to be part of those um, subgenerations, maybe. Yeah, it seems to have really like kind of taken off when Jupiter entered Scorpio, which I think right. activated our whole subgen or our whole generation. Sorry. Um, and that was really when like this whole quote unquote witchy movement started to really take off. And um, yeah, that that Jupiter and Scorpio activation was super powerful and I wasn't expecting it, honestly. Um, it was really, you know, in a lot of ways a dream come true for me, and like still is that there are so many people now that are into astrology. Like I when I started out back in 2012, 2013. Um, which was Saturn and Scorpio. Um, that was I remember, you know, no one, no one, no one I knew was into astrology. Um, right. it was really hard to find people who I could talk to about this. I remember I met someone on Reddit randomly and we we just like WhatsApped for like two years because she was the only person that I could nerd out about astrology with. And then all of a sudden, um, but that Jupiter transit is just became a thing. And yeah, it felt surreal to me. And then, you know, Jupiter and Sag just seems like um, Gen Z, the Pluto and Sag generation too, sort of like became awakened with that too. So that was really interesting. Yeah. Well, when it's been interesting also, because it's just been in the past two years and even while um like one of the things that's interesting is seeing the established like on twitter recently like generations um have come in over the past year or two and one of the things they're surprised about is that there's not more um diversity and like inclusion in the astrological community and one of the issues was just pr- literally prior to a few years ago it it wasn't very diverse and so um, that's one of the issues in terms of, I don't want to say why, because that doesn't justify why some of those structures aren't built into the community, but it's been one of the shifts that's happened really suddenly. And you can see some of the established organizations sort of struggling to to keep up or or to be um doing things that are actually in keeping with like contemporary, like where everybody's at at this point. Yeah, it's definitely been a huge issue. And you know, if anyone's on Twitter, you've seen like these really um, robust conversations around these topics. Like, I think in particular, Gen Z um, is very impatient with it, and I don't blame them for their impatience. But um, I think that there is a sense of, yeah, I don't know. It kind of just feels like the Pluto and Scorpio generation. We're not surprised by it, I guess, because um, or we're not surprised by you know, the old guard and, you know, those who, you know, have power at this point within the community and, um, and how things have been. And I think that there's, I talked about this on Twitter quite a bit, but like, 
especially with the Saturn and domicile Pluto and Scorpio people. Um, there's a, an effort to change things from the inside out, like sort of, you know, help change these structures that, that are in terms of like getting on boards, um, of the major orgs and, you know, with me like taking over fresh voices and, and sort of like changing, yeah, changing things from the inside, um, where I feel like there's a lot of frustration from younger astrologers, um, especially Gen Z astrologers who just kind of feel like, you know, it's not working. So like, let's do something else, you know, instead of perhaps having, um, I don't know, a little bit more patience or mindfulness around it. And I, that's not to like bash them at all, because I understand that, you know, it's like patience for what, you know, like we deserve these things or we, you know, these things need to change. And I totally agree. I just think that there's a little bit of a, um, a little bit of a disconnect around like, how to go about those changes. And so the whole community is sort of reckoning with this right now. And it's really interesting. There's been so many really engaging conversations happening around it, especially on Twitter. Um, and I'm excited to see how things continue to shape up. I mean, in my opinion, it needs to kind of be this like both and approach of changing things from within, but then also creating new structures and, um, I don't know, we see it happening with, with Saturn and Aquarius this year. I feel like, you know, so much changed so quickly. You know, we had Norwalk online. We had all of the conferences really go virtual. Um, and, and then kind of reckoning with the, the issues that come with that, you know, having things happen in a virtual space and, um, making sure people still feel a level of safety or protection, um, within these virtual spaces. So. Yeah, it seems like Saturn and Aquarius is going to be so much about like how to how to work within community and to um make the most or, or I guess make make our communities um work for everyone instead of just, you know, a small group of people who it has been working for really well. Um, because now there's so many more people that are in the community or want to become part of the community and it's like we have to sort of like open up the circle and figure out how to incorporate these new people. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's interesting for us in the astrological community seeing one of those real generational shifts taking place in front of our, our eyes though, because for so long it was like the Pluto and Leo generation was the one that was in charge and one that had set up all of the structures back in the 70s and 80s. And in some ways, like the Pluto in, in Virgo and Pluto in Libra generation kind of got overlooked because a large, while there are obviously um, astrologers in that generation that have done great work and stuff, for the longest time, a lot of the Pluto and Leo astrologers were still um, sort of the dominant players in the field and were in charge of many of the organizations and kind of calling the shots on many things. But now we're at this weird um, point after not not skipping two generations, but now it's weird seeing this new generation or two coming in with Pluto and Scorpio and Pluto in Sagittarius in such an influx and how um, things are changing or how they are in some instances changing things very rapidly and starting to set up some of the new um, power structures in the community. Yeah, it is happening so quickly. And it, it's funny because they're, yeah, like Pluto there are quite a bit of Pluto and Libra um, astrologers who 
have had successful careers and, you know, are successful. Like I'm thinking of Channing Nicholas, like Mecca Woods. There's a great number. Um, but Jessica Lignato. Yeah, Jessica Lignato. Um, but at the same time, they aren't really the ones who have um power <laughs> um in terms of like the structures within the community. It's like they've had their own individual successes. Um, but yeah, they they're not the ones really um, you know, on the boards. Some of them sure like definitely are on boards, but it seems to be overwhelmingly like, you know, Pluto and Leo who have had um the power in terms of like the way things have been run thus far. Um and so, yeah, this is weird. Like now all these Pluto and Scorpios are coming in the kind of like having positions of power within the community. Um, and then there's the Pluto and Sagis who kind of have more of a, um, they have power in a different way, which is the power of messaging. <laughs> mm. Um, and, and yeah, the power of like, you know, spreading information so quickly, which I think the Pluto and Leo, Pluto and Virgo gens, like, don't know how to, don't know how to um, react to. And I don't blame them because I wouldn't really know how to react to them either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, it's just, there's, um, it seems like different generations that you, it's, I'm starting to understand more as I get older. I'm only in like my mid 30s. So I'm by no means super old yet, but I, I understand more how. It's like easier to adopt to um, new technologies, especially, but also sometimes just new social uh, mores and things like that when you're younger in your teens or twenties, and sort of understand what's going on and, and adapt to it. Whereas sometimes it might be harder when you're older, especially technologically, to like you know learn something in your free time and how easy it is to get set in certain ways. Um, in terms of that, and just seeing that come up in different ways, and just understanding that as a part of um, aging and the difference between um, people that are older versus that people are, are younger in terms of ease of adapting to new things or whatever is newly available. Yeah, for sure. And then there's also this weird, um, this other aspect of like, you know, the, us younger generations and how like us coming into astrology and like i think a lot of us really want to become full-time astrologers like that that was part of my saturn return becoming a full-time astrologer um but th there's i think when we're talking about like the economic um aspects of it and how our generations are so much worse off <laughs> than um older generations in terms of like you know, I think a lot of older generations, um, folks were able to have like a full-time job often, or at least like a stable job that kind of can supplement, um, their astrological work. And they've, they've grown these, um, you know, clientele over years and years and years. And they're in a much more stable position, a lot of them than us, um, younger astrologers who, you know, like we're having a hard time with like with the job situation nowadays and for me like when i decided to to um move towards full time it was because well one i love 
astrology. And it's just something that I just see myself doing forever. But at the same time, it was it was coupled with the fact that I just could not be in an office anymore. And I just couldn't work for and like advertising anymore. And I think a lot of our generation, both like Pluto and Scorpio and Pluto and Sat struggle with that, like, just really being unable to like conform to these um, sort of like jobs that were <laughs> that I think a lot of older generations um, were just oh, like okay with doing like especially Pluto and Virgo like they are I think of them as like the cubicle generation you know and like they just work and they they're really good at their work but um us younger us younger generations are have a really hard time with like maintaining a job for a really long time um and so, yeah, there is just like this weird thing with like pay as well. I don't know. We're we're getting into other conversation, I guess. But no, I mean, um, I think that's relevant in terms of because one of the things that was noted on a lot earlier this year, and and it was Sam Reynolds that first pointed this chart out to me earlier this year. But just that part of Saturn going into Aquarius earlier this year was um, the Saturn return of the internet, mm-hmm. or at least of the, the World Wide Web was first, the first website was launched and the World Wide Web was first announced in August of 1991 and Saturn was at two degrees of Aquarius. And you know that's definitely one thing that's hugely different right now. Um, if anybody is trying to become an astrologer is there's like um, the gig economy and the ability for anybody to set up a website or to start doing consultations with anyone from around the world through Zoom or through Skype, and anybody to be able to use or leverage social media in order to build up a profile. Um, in some ways, even though economically things are much more difficult and people are worse off, and education is much more expensive. If one wanted to go to college first before like launching a career as an astrologer, you would. You know, potentially end up racking up like a ton of debt in order to do that. On the other hand, it's also easier maybe than at any other time to study astrology, to learn it, to have access to free resources online, and also to maybe put yourself out there and become successful as an astrologer, not necessarily overnight, even though there's few sort of success stories like that, but through hard work and through leveraging technology and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's this weird thing to kind of reconcile within our community that has so many such a diverse age range at this point like we're all coming at this you know this topic astrology in our um in our professional careers from like so many different you know areas and so many different like you know we grew up with the internet and that stuff is a lot easier for us whereas like older folks might not have um, the same internet literacy, but um, have a more, you know, stable finances and stable clientele. And yeah, it's interesting. It's like, wh- how can we help each other, really? That's what I'm interested in. Yeah, definitely. Well, it will be interesting to see how, I mean, we just got like a little preview of that for a few months earlier this year, and some of the Saturn and Aquarius people got uh, a first preview of their Saturn return some people like like you are going to get their exact hit uh, very early once Saturn goes back in their final exact hit early next year when Saturn goes back into Aquarius in December. Um, but I usually see, um, I feel like in modern astrology previously they used to confine the Saturn return to just when within it when it was within a few degrees of exact. 
but I tend to see the Saturn return as occurring for the entirety of Saturn returning back to its natal sign. Um, is that how do you? Which way do you go on that? Yeah, de- I definitely um, follow that. I mean, I follow that because I follow you in your okay. podcast, so that's kind of right. how I learned. But I've definitely seen it play out that way for sure. Um, and yeah, there, there, d- there did seem to be some sort of like pause on the Saturn in Capricorn folks um, in their like Saturn return stories while Saturn was in Aquarius, which is interesting. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely follow that as well. I, I see my Saturn return lasting until, you know, beginning of 2023. Yeah, is that what? So Saturn is going to be. That's when it finally leaves Aquarius and goes yeah, into Pisces March, for the last time. Mm-hmm, March 2023. Um, and it's interesting. I was just on the phone with my mom. She has Saturn in Aquarius as well, but she has it at like 29 degrees Aquarius, or mine's mm-hmm. at one degree. So um, it'll be cool to see how that plays out. Mine's kind of happening so early on. Um, and hers doesn't co- become exact, you know, for another two years or so. Um, but she, you know, she's talking about starting a new business. She has, she's been out of work for like five years. Um, so she's like so excited and like pumped up about this like new business venture that she's trying to go on. And I was like, oh, I was wondering what the Saturn returns going to be about for you. Um, so yeah, it's really interesting. We're both kind of like, becoming self-employed at this time um, too. So yeah. Yeah, I love that. Um, so I usually like picture it in my mind. I don't have a graph, but just as um, the Saturn return, if it's really early in the sign, sort of peaking in intensity very early on, like in this range of this year and early next year, but then um, there's still being this like downward slope uh, until it leaves the sign of maybe being less intense, but still a continuation of many of the themes that were initiated at the very beginning, um, being wrapped up and being brought to completion over the next couple of years uh, before it leaves the sign. Exactly, yeah, and that's exactly how I explain it to my clients too. Like the most intense parts of it, or like probably the most action's going to happen, um, will be the exact hits. But then you know you're still that's still playing out, you know, over the following years, or even when it's not exact. Um, it's just not like the major plot points necessarily. Right. Um, all right. So that is Saturn and Aquarius, which are, I forgot to mention at the beginning, people born between roughly 1991 and 1993. And that leaves us with one last um, Saturn subgeneration before we wrap up, which is Saturn and Pisces, which yes. is 1993 to 1996 ish. Yeah. My, my second favorite. <laughs> Um, I think I'm just like partial to to Jupiter ruled Saturns, maybe some right. such a Jupiterian. But um, yeah, I th- my little sister is in the subgeneration too, and um, I kind of feel like this is part of like the subgeneration that made me really interested in learning about Saturn generations because um, I just I have an affinity towards them. Maybe I'm because I'm a Pisces rising, but. What I love about this subgeneration is, you know, I, I talk about like Saturn signs as being um, what you're responsible for, like as a group. Um, and with Saturn and Pisces, there's this responsibility to like heal the world, which is like, you know, a little, a little dramatic, but um, I really feel that with this group. They, they take this like compassion, um, this sort of like 
yeah, compassion to another level where they, they really take on this like intense, um, need, this responsibility to sort of like bring more love and compassion and empathy to the world, um, as a form of healing. Um, and what I, another thing I love about this subgen is that, you know, Saturn will trine, um, Pluto and they, a, a chunk of them have, um, Jupiter in Scorpio as well. And the North node in Scorpio too. So they have this like Jupiter, North node, Pluto thing, which is like a really interesting contrast to the earlier, um, Saturn in Scorpio generation with like Saturn, Pluto and the South node. Um, you get like the malefic, <laughs> the malefic with the South node versus the benefic with the North node. Um, and yeah, I think that's just something that always stood out to me that there's, um, sort of this, like, almost like, um, yeah, not, maybe not mirroring, but, um, this like continuation of a pattern, but in, it just kind of manifests in a different way where, um, it feels a little bit more like forward thinking and, and active in a way. I, I kind of think of, you know, the South node, um, with Saturn, Pluto and Scorpio as kind of like often looking back and sort of like healing these, um, maybe like past life wounds, um, and, and taking that really seriously. And then this, this, um, Saturn and Pisces subgeneration is like almost like making magic. Like it feels very much like, um, you know, less so kind of resolving things from the past and more so like conjuring to like bring about a better future. Um, and yeah, there's, there's just like the sweetest. I don't know. I just really love the subgeneration. They care so deeply. And I think they, um, that really, they struggle with that a lot and that, um, they really do feel like it's their responsibility to heal the world. And I mean that like on an individual level and that is such a enormous weight to carry. Um, and yeah, especially, you know, with how the world is now. And I just feel like are the young folks, especially those in like their early mid twenties, um, are feeling so lost and, again, that responsibility to like do something, but, you know, not really having a lot of means to, and also it's like, you're in your early twenties, no one's expecting you to save the world. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of them feel that and that they, they need to do something to like, um, heal all this pain that I think a lot of them feel really heavily. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm looking at the charts here and it's, um, kind of crazy how close to the the Uranus Neptune conjunction still was at that yes. point, yeah. Because that went exact in a few times in like 1992, 1993, and so they've got a lot of. It's like we we skipped over that a little bit, and I think we're actually planning on talking about that in a podcast episode on on your podcast next month mm-hmm. about um, the Saturn Neptune conjunction and stuff, some of the stuff going on in the early to mid 90s. Uh, regarding the revival of traditional and older forms of astrology and how the Saturn return of that has really impacted the astrological community, especially over the past few years. Yeah, for sure. I'm looking forward to that. 
Um, but yeah, that, that Uranus Neptune conjunction was even tighter for sure. Um, in the, in the early nineties and into the mid nineties, or I guess, yeah. Yeah. Like early, early to mid, I guess, 1994. Um, yeah. yeah. So that's another piece of like the idealism, um, and like sort of the forward thinking element of this subgeneration. Um, yeah. And then there were these like, yeah, the Jupiter signs too. So there was the Jupiter and, and Scorpio, um, I see so many like witchy, like so many witches <laughs> with this in this subgeneration with the Jupiter and Scorpio. Like they just, I don't know. There's something um very like intuitive, and maybe that's just because I'm in this community and I see a lot of it. But um, yeah, even you know, I I grew up my we went my sister and I went to like a small private school growing up. And so I was there from first grade. She was there from kindergarten all the way through 12th grade. So I watched her and her friends grow up um, from the time they were like five until they were, you know, now basically. Um, and yeah, even the non-witchy folks, like they, there's just something so compassionate and caring and um, yeah, like loving about the subgeneration that and they're just so sensitive and <laughs> they think they really feel um the grief and the pain of the world and they they really want to do something about it um but yeah then they then there's the part with Jupiter in in Sag too which is um i think that they can take that that grief and that pain and the way that they can talk about it and like, again, the messaging piece with Jupiter and Sag or just Sagittarius energy in general, um, that seems to have been something that I've noticed a lot about the, like, I guess you could say the mini generation within that sub generation with Jupiter and Sag, um, you know, with that, that strong Jupiter, that, um, Jupiter and domicile ruling Saturn in Pisces, um, yeah, which is like another, I'm thinking back to like, um, Saturn and Sag with Jupiter and Pisces. And again, there's just all this Jupiter, Jupiter energy. Um, and yeah, with that mini generation, they just seem to be able to really put words to, um, to sort of like how, you know, maybe solutions or just kind of thinking big about, um, the issues that we face right now. I've, I've noticed that a lot about them. I'm looking through my files and I'm having trouble. I don't actually have a lot of Saturn in Pisces people from that subgeneration from the mid mid nineties. I guess just because they're so young, mm-hmm. and maybe I'm not following like um, celebrity stuff from people that young. The only one I have from that exact generation is, for the time chart at least, is Justin Bieber. Mm. Um, but one of the older ones that was a Saturn in Pisces that I. Did connect with some of what you're saying about like this sensitivity uh, was Kurt Cobain, mm-hmm. who was not just a you know from the previous Saturn generation was a Saturn in Pisces, but also a Pisces stellium, and just some of those um, themes you're talking about of like sensitivity and being hypersensitive being um, something that showed up definitely for him. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I get a lot of clients with uh, in the sub generation. A lot of our sessions just kind of revolve around being like, you know, I know that 
you feel responsible for this, but it's like, you know, what are the things, what are the tangible things you can do? Um, and, and sort of like just figuring out ways to sort of relieve that, that pressure to, um, yeah, to like heal the whole world. That's just such a common theme I see with them. Um, yeah, I forget what I was about to say, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we start getting into the overlap at this point though with um, the Pluto and Sag generation, right? Yeah, yeah. So 1995, is, there's a couple weird overlaps because um, I think that's also when Saturn entered Aries, I believe. Um, I believe. Yeah, right? Let's Didn't see, I'm just moving it forward. So I know um, that Pluto kind of dipped into Sag for a little bit. Um Yeah, it looks like Pluto into Sag by like October, November of nineteen ninety five. Okay. Okay. And then, cool. So Saturn didn't enter Aries yet, but yeah. So there was that um yeah, I'm thinking about a Jupiter, a weird Jupiter thing that happened that year, I think. Um but yeah, so you you get I think there was like maybe two or two to four months, I forget off the top of my head, that that um Pluto was in Sagittarius during nineteen ninety-five. And um yeah, I have like I have a cousin who I think off the top of my head that has that. She was born in like March of ninety-five and has the Pluto and Sag, and then it dipped back into Scorpio and then it went back into Sag. So yeah, maybe that was it. There was it was it entered Sag and then um came back into Scorpio for a little bit and then re-entered Sagittarius. Um so yeah, that that's nineteen ninety-five is the overlap and I guess we can call those the um the Xennials, the Zoomer Millennials. <laughs> the Xennials. The oh yeah. So what is the so there's the millennials end basically at this point, and then what is the official generation after millennials? Um, Gen Z. Gen Z. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh -uh. Yeah. That's so funny because I remember really distinctly around like 1995 um, getting access to like America Online and like the internet becoming a big thing like really quickly right then in the middle of the 90s. And it's so interesting seeing that Pluto shift coinciding with that really perfectly and moving out of Scorpio and moving into Sagittarius so that that kind of lines up with just what was happening in the world, both technologically and sociologically, and just the idea that millennials are the generation that experienced something before that, even if just slightly. And then after that point, it's sort of hard to escape and it is part of like a permanent part of society in some ways. Yeah, exactly. I I mean, I was a baby. I was, you know, I turned 4 at the end of 95, but, but um I do remember like you know, going my parents used to like tell me to turn the internet on for them. So I I knew how like by the time I was 3 or 4, I knew how to like climb up into the computer chair and click on the Internet Explorer symbol and like start it up because back then, as you know, it would take like an hour <laughs> sometimes right. to get online. <laughs> the dial um, up, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, that was very stark change. I remember too. I remember being like three or four, and um, my mom told me that we had to start using area codes when we when we called people. Uh, mm. Before that, we didn't have to use area codes, and so I would call my best friend all the time. And she's like, you have to dial 610 first before you type type in Lauren's number. Um, and that's like a weird early memory I have too. And 
yeah, we are the last. And I think about like what it's what it's going to be like when we're in our eighties, like when we're mm-hmm. having our Uranus returns, um, and we're the last ones. You know, we're we're the last generation alive that remembers what it was like before the internet. I think about that a lot. Yeah, I always see these arguments online about. I feel like there's a an arrogance of some of the younger, maybe it's the millennial generation, where they think like they see older people that struggled with that technological shift, and some of them sort of got left behind, or some just like barely make it by, sort of understanding how to access the internet or something at a very basic level. And I sometimes see some of my contemporaries in like their thirties saying that. Their generation will be different, and they'll they'll continue being early adopters of technology, and it won't be as hard of a transition when they're like in their eighties or something like that. But I think there's a short sightedness there, in that you can't actually anticipate what the next major technological changes will be, and like what the new like interfaces will be for technology, and it may be one of those things, or in all likelihood, it'll be one of those things that takes. Being immersed and takes having the free time to like practice and to engage yourself in that new technology, so that there will still at some point be, um, you know, a divide there where large parts of a generation maybe are left off or don't adopt as thoroughly whatever the new technology is, um, and then you do have some some sort of divide. Definitely, yeah. I mean, I am not one of those people. I'm like. I kind of, I kind of see myself as being an old person who's just like, I hate robots. Get these robots away from me. Like I, (laughs) I fully expect to, um, sort of be left behind in a lot of ways. Mainly, like I can't even get on TikTok, you know, and I'm, I'm only 28, so turning 29. Um, so yeah, I think, yeah, I, I, I'm right on the same page as you. It's like, don't, don't, you know, don't become arrogant with that because we don't know what's going to happen in the future. You know, um, that things that we're going to have to learn, like you know, it's a, it's it's probably going to be really easy for our kids to learn how to fly a hovercraft, but for us, maybe not so much. <laughs> yeah, well, and especially with we're we're coming up in this decade, another major generational shift, which is going to be Pluto moving into Aquarius, and so the whole. You know, era of Pluto and Capricorn, which started in the late 2000s, will come to an end. And, you know, whatever tech major technological shift that brings on, whether, you know, um, artificial intelligence is developed, which is there's a lot of speculations about when or if that will happen, um, what kind of interfaces they're finally starting to experiment with, like neural interfaces to like directly hook computers into your, into your brain and things like that. So, yeah. Scary. Yeah, we're coming up pretty pretty soon on some major <laughs> new generational shifts. Yeah, I'm not looking forward to it. <laughs> I think it's maybe like Saturn and Aquarius. I don't know. There's just some fears around the future I have. Um yeah, but I mean I can't can't stop the future, I guess. But I think about that a lot about how, you know, like I'll likely have kids who have Saturn in Aquarius and like you know, thinking about my dad who has Pluto and Leo and, um, you know, turning 80 and how he, like, I witnessed him on his first, like, conference call, like his first Zoom call during quarantine because he has so many business meetings. He still works a lot. Um, and yeah, it's like 
just thinking about the future and what that's going to look like for us. It's going to be like our first, you know, hologram party or whatever and figuring out how to do that. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, 3D printed everything. Yeah. Um, Yeah. There's a lot, a lot of stuff coming uh, up soon. And um, yeah, Saturn and Aquarius for the next couple of years. And what what are the dates for Saturn and Pisces again? Do you know for the return? Um, oh, Saturn actually, Saturn enters in March of 2023, I believe. Um, okay. And I don't think it retrogrades back into Aquarius. I'm pretty sure it's just straight in Pisces um, until maybe, I don't know, 2026 or something, or, or late 2025, something like that. I forgot. Um, I just found this old article I wrote on Saturn Return Stories that lists the Saturn oh, Return nice. start and end dates. So just people can search Saturn Return start and end dates, and it looks like Saturn will be in Pisces from March seventh, twenty twenty three, like you said, to February of twenty twenty six. So the Saturn and Aquarius people, your Saturn returns will finally end in twenty twenty three, and the Pisces people will have a solid um, three years of Saturn return there. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and then after that, I need to update this article for our Saturn in Aries friends and everybody yes. that comes after that. Yes, our, so, our Saturn in Aries friends. <laughs> yeah, so that it, that brings us though to the end of this in terms of talking about the millennials as a generation and as subgenerations of those born with Pluto and Scorpio and the different Saturn um, signs within that. Um, yeah, so we'll have to we'll have to do this again, maybe to talk about the other generation, the Pluto and Sag generation, at some point uh, in the future. Yeah. yeah, in the in the future, once I can meet some more of them, because <laughs> some of them right. are, you know, they were born in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, so they're not they're still babies. A lot of them. So, yeah, yeah, they're only like twelve years old. So they haven't even necess- even encountered their like Saturn opposition yet. Yeah, exactly. Um, but. The ones that I do know, the older folks. I mean, there's there's quite a bit in the astrology community, so um, I'm excited to see like you know their contributions or their further contributions because they've done enough. There, plenty of them have done a lot already. So, yeah, it's exciting. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right, great. Well, this is awesome. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else. I did since we're getting close to the end of Saturn and Capricorn. I did want to put a call out for people to send in your experiences and your your birth charts for those that have Saturn and Capricorn that are wrapping up their Saturn returns because I'd like to do a retrospective and highlighting some of those um, experiences from the past few years. So if anybody wants to send in their chart, um, just send me an email. My email is listed on the Astrology Podcast website and also some people if they wanted to do like a 3 to 5 minute like selfie video recording on your phone doing a quick recap of your Saturn return and how it's tied in with your chart uh, you can email that to me as well and then I might end up featuring some of them in an episode I hope to do in the not too distant future um what are your plans or what do you have coming up in terms of um your work with astrology or other events or other projects that you have going on so um event wise I am speaking at the Modern Witches Confluence um at the end of this month so it's October I think it starts yeah October 30th it might start on the 29th but I think the opening ceremony is on the 30th um and then it goes till November 1st um I'll be giving the opening keynote on October 30th and I'm 
presenting a talk called Timing is Everything, um, Astrology as a Tool for Understanding the Present Moment. So I'm excited about that. Um, and then just been working on the podcast. Yeah, there's the, um, yeah, it starts the 29th, you're right. So um, it's witchesconfluence.org? Yes, witchesconfluence.org. And they host this every year. It's usually in person um, in San Francisco. I have never been, but I was invited to speak this year, which is really exciting. Um, nice. So, so yeah, that. And then I have my podcast that I'm continuously working on, the astrology show. Um, and that's been just a blast. We just finished up all of our planet episodes and you know if anyone if you are Saturn and Aries and you would love to hear some more about Saturn and Aries we we talk about that in our in our Saturn episode um I think that's episode nine yeah I believe um and what and do they search for oh yeah what's the origin of your name by the way your astrology? name for yeah um I <laughs> I feel like it's just a very Mercury and Sag thing. Like I like to abbreviate everything. Okay. Um, maybe it's a millennial thing too, like <laughs> going to all girls school during, you know, the early 2000s. But, um, I abbre abbreviate everything and I really loved the, I really love astrology. Astrology was like the, the first thing. And, um, I started a Slack channel when I was working in advertising called astrology and, um, got people. In offices all around the world who are like following my updates and stuff. So decided to keep running with astrology and, you know, astrology.com was taken. So it became the astrology. And <laughs> yeah. I love it. So people should, they can find you on like all the major podcast networks like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, mm -hmm. uh, YouTube, or Stitcher by just searching for the S T R O L O G Y show. Yep, the astrology show. Um, yeah. And then what else? Oh, Fresh Voices. Um, we have some great webinars coming up in November. Um, Becca Tarnas is coming in to talk about astrological research methods, which I'm really excited about. Um, and then Michael Bryan is also coming in to speak about um, horary astrology. So that's going to be great. Um, and we have a couple other ones. Like we have, we have some really good ones scheduled over the next couple of months. Um, and then besides that, I'm just, you know, doing readings, <laughs> um, doing readings and then working on a course. I'm, um, launching a course in the spring. So that's kind of taking up a big chunk of my time and energy lately, but that's something I'm excited about. Awesome. That sounds great. And I saw uh, the Northwest Astrology Conference was just announced, and you'll be speaking yes. at that as yeah. well, right? Yeah, we're both speaking. I'm really, really excited for that. Um, actually going to be talking about Pluto and Scorpio um, as a generation for that conference too, kind of expanding on the talk I did last year for Fresh Voices. Um, so yeah, talking about that more and more. <laughs> Excellent. Well, yeah, that should be great, and probably going into much more detail if people liked this um, discussion, then I'm sure they'll like that talk. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot for joining me today. Like I said, this is the first time I've somehow ever talked about um, you know generations in astrology. I've been meaning to, so it was nice and also weirdly, also weirdly like cathartic to um, you know talk about some of that both. What's going on in terms of different generations and in terms of some of the generational shifts that are happening right now. So uh yeah, thanks for joining me for this today. Thanks for having me on. This is like 
unbelievable for me. <laughs> um, I've been following you and your podcast since, you know, since you started, I think. When did you start? In like 2014, 2015? Uh, I started doing it really slowly in 2012 when yeah. the dom domain just fell in my lap, but then I didn't start doing it more seriously until like two or three years later. Yeah. Well, I've been here since the beginning. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and it's been, um, you know, such a huge part of my journey. So thank you for having me on. It's It's really cool. Thank you. Yeah. It's been amazing seeing you come into the community and um, starting to do different things with like Influx Magazine, which was a really cool magazine that you were doing for a little bit that was on, I think, is on hiatus for the moment. Yeah, but hopefully then, bringing it back next year. We'll see. Okay. And then, um, yeah, just especially over the course of the past year, seeing you hit your SATA return and just so many amazing things that you've been doing, it's been really great to see. So um, keep it up. I look forward to seeing the rest of your SATA return. And uh, yeah, let's do this again sometime. Totally. Well, I'll, I'll speak to you soon on my show. So looking forward yes. to it. Next month in, in November, we're going to talk about um, the revival of traditional astrology and how that's been impacting the community and some of the different things that go along with that in terms of uh, the teacher-student relationship and notions of like lineage and things like that. Yeah, that's going to be a good one. I'm excited. Cool. All right. Well, people can find out more information about that on your website. I'll link to it in the description below this video or on the Astrology Podcast website. Um, thanks everybody for listening to this episode of the Astrology Podcast, and we'll see you again next time. Special thanks to the patrons who support the Astrology Podcast through our page on patreon.com. In particular, shout out to the patrons that are on our producers tier, such as Nate Craddock, Marin Altman, Thomas Miller, Bear River, Catherine Conroy, Michelle Marillot, Christy Moe, and Sumo Kopic. Find out more about how to become a patron at patreon.com slash astrologypodcast. Also, thanks to our sponsors this month, which include the AstroGold Astrology app, available at astrogold.io, the Portland School of Astrology at portlandastrology.org, the Honeycomb Collective Personal Astrological Almanacs, available at honeycomb.co, and also the International Society for Astrological Research, which is hosting an astrology conference August 18th through the 22nd, 2021. Find out more information at isar2020.org. As well as the Northwest Astrological Conference, which is happening May 27th through the 31st, 2021, and you can find out more information about that at norwac.net. Finally, the software we use here on the Astrology Podcast is called SolarFire Astrology Software, and it's available through alabe.com, and you can get a 15% discount with the promo code AP15.